Father, thank you so much tonight for all that you do for us, God, every single day. God, we're going to come uh, and we're going to hear about your word right now. God, I pray that we can celebrate what it says. God, it's so amazing, the truth that you give us, God, and the promises that you keep. Father, they're what we hold on to. So, God, I thank you for that hope. God, and the grace that you give, so we can have that hope. God, that we can count on an everlasting life because of the sacrifice that you make. Father, thank you for that, and thank you for your son. In his name we pray. I usually am on the floor when I teach, and tonight we left the chairs too close, and it's like cramped. So I gotta stand up here and look down on you all, which will be very enjoyable. Anyway, Mark six, or yes, Mark six. We are in Mark chapter six tonight. Um, last week we talked about Jesus going into his hometown, a, a prophet not having honor in his hometown. He went in with teaching, and people were amazed, but at the same time they were offended at Jesus. And we talked about the things that Jesus taught and why people would be offended, and then we moved from there. And talked about, actually, as we talked about that, it says that Jesus was not able to perform miracles in his hometown because of a lack of faith of those individuals. And last week we just talked about faith and, and our taking steps in, take, in stepping out on faith. When God calls us to do something and going and being, being a part of what God wants us to do based on our faith in him, our trusting and our moving and, and the importance of us placing our faith in him. So tonight we're going to go into John the Baptist and King Herod. Uh, and we may go ahead and cover out the, the feeding of the 5,000 because I said that we may tag that on at the end. I just have to see how much time we have as we go through here. Uh, we did the feeding of the 5,000, I don't know, 10 weeks ago, maybe 12 weeks ago. Maybe it was longer than that. I just don't really want to do a repeat of that specific passage. So we'll get that either back of this week or front of next week and then move into Jesus walking on the water next week. So John the Baptist and King Herod, tonight we get to answer the question, are women really evil? Okay, this is a great question. Yeah, I just got a point. That's right. And it goes all the way back to the creation narrative. If we go all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what do we have? We have God makes everything, and then he makes man, he makes woman. So you got Adam and Eve. And in chapter 3, Eve is enticed by a serpent to eat of a fruit of a tree that God says, don't do it. And so Eve took it, she ate it, and then she gave it to her husband who, who said, okay, yeah, I'm good with this. And he ate fruit too, right? And so then they realize what's going on. They go and they put what they can on. They're hiding from God. God comes to spend his daily time walking and talking with Adam maybe and says, hey, where are you at? And Adam goes, I was hiding because I was afraid. Why are you afraid? Well, and, and God says, you were disobedient. You ate from the tree I told you not to. He said, yes, but the woman you gave me gave it to me. She enticed me. And so it's very interesting. Automatically, we see, and the whole point of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and all the way through 11, the whole creation narrative from beginning to flood to Tower of God, all those things, the whole point, the main point it's trying to communicate is the brokenness of humanity. And that story is, I mean, there's your... There's your ba- oh, Yes, they, they disobey God, and there's the beginning of the brokenness. But at the same time, you also see the brokenness of men, because automatically, what does he do? He blames the woman. This is natural. When I think back, or when Ryan and I are talking, or when we go to eat with somebody new, or we meet somebody new, and they always ask, where did you guys meet? And we begin the story, we met in college, and da-da-da-da, there we go. Well, it leads into the dating conversation. 
And Ryan and I didn't have this like big romantic dating relationship. We had a, a, a difficult struggle of two people that were really attractive and really liked each other, but at the same time we hated each other for spe- I mean specific reasons. Ryan loved to flirt. She loved to flirt, and I don't know how to say that. But and I, on the other hand, hated it and was a very jealous person, and so we really clashed a lot. And as we tell those stories, and I can go into the sob stories of everything that happened throughout our dating relationship, I'm always doing what? I'm blaming Ryan for what happened. That goes all the way back, and I wanted to be as sensitive about this as I could be because I'm going to upset her again. Every time we go through it, she's like, she's like you need to forget about it. You're married. you got two kids. Blah, blah, blah. And she's right. And half of it or more was at least my fault. It's not all of it. Uh, everything that ever happened that was negative in our relationship from even before we met until when I die, it will all be my fault. I just want you to know that. Yeah. Which may be tonight. <laughs> but, but even in those, in, even in those funny stories, like I'll get worked up and I will still, still, where that came from, I will still blame Ryan for certain things that happen and try to take no blame whatsoever, which again dates all the way back. Go all the way back to the creation narrative. Adam does the same thing with Eve. So here we're going to see a man who, he doesn't blame, but at the same time, he doesn't, he doesn't step up and, and fill the position of a man that he's supposed to. And so as we begin this, it says in verse 14, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Now King Herod, this is Herod and Antith- uh, Antith- <laughs> I'm sorry. This is the youngest son of Herod the Great. We'll leave it at that, okay? I can't even get it out tonight. So, youngest son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was put into power by Roman authorities. He's actually not even a Jewish man. He was, kind of, he was viewed as a half-bred who was not fit to lead by Jews. He died and, they, and gave his kingdom to his three sons. This son is given a fourth of that kingdom. This king Herod is given a fourth of that kingdom. And so, as he's ruling, he's ruling in the area, area of Jerusalem. And it says he hears about... This, uh, he hears about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. So obviously Jesus is very popular. Herod now hears about this Jesus, and it says, some were saying, or some uh, some manuscripts say he was saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why, uh, why miraculous powers are at work in him. Verse 15, others say he is Elijah, and so others claim he is a prophet like, prophet like one of the prophets long ago. And so here you have Jesus is on the scene, obviously, he's very popular. Herod now hears about him, and there's conversations going on within royal court. Who is this man? And so they're having discussions, and there are different options that are being played out. Some are saying it's Elijah, some are saying it's John the Baptist, some are saying it's the prophet of old. Here you have another connection if we go all the way back to Malachi, which is where we started before we got in this book. We went through the book of Malachi because there are references from Malachi here. This is not a verse references, but at the same time, it's a concept reference, because in Malachi, as the people are saying, where's the God of justice? God, where are you at? Please work in our nation. What are you doing? The answer from God is, he's coming, turn to me, and also says, Elijah's going to come. And so from that, we have people responding with this man who showed up now is this promised Elijah from Malachi, and others are saying it's John the Baptist, who has now come back to life. And then others are saying he is a prophet like one of the prophets from old who are bringing a revelation or a knowledge of God now. In verse 16 it says, but when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has risen from the dead. So here you have a king, or at least to a degree he's a king. He's still under Roman authority and there are certain restrictions that he has. He's not able to just at will go to war and do certain things. He has to get approval from Rome. He's still 
pays them and those kinds of things. He has to watch what he does. But at the same time, he's in charge here. And so here you have a king who hears about this Jesus. And they work through who this may be. And he decides, this is John the Baptist who I beheaded. And he's raised from the dead. So here now you have a man who's a king who is terrified, thinking that now there's a man who's come back to life that I had killed. This is not good for me. And so for Mark, this is this passage is, is fun to have just in Mark because so far we've walked through this this narrative of Jesus and we've and we've learned a ton about what he's done and been able to pull out of it. At the same time, we get to make a slight shift away from it's still on Jesus, but at the same time it moves and it's a little different perspective. And you have a narrative story involving some other people that, that were able to move over and just it's just a nice break, I would say. But Mark takes time then to give us background. Here you've got Herod hearing about Jesus. He responds with, this is John the Baptist. And so Mark then backtracks. And let me tell you what happened with John the Baptist. In verse 17, he says, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had bound him and put him in prison. He did this because of Herodias, Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. So here you have a king. Now, again, a, a king for the Jewish people, if you go all the way back to Saul and David and Solomon, and even throughout the line of kings, it seemed that as if when the king made decisions and the way the king went, the rest of the nation went. Now, again, this is a little bit different because he's not re, he's not a legitimate Jewish king. He's not in the in the line of David. And, and really, again, they, they don't see as Jewish people him fit to be sitting on the throne and ruling him. But at the same time, he is the ruler of their nation at that time. So you still have that dynamic. But again, if you go all the way back to David, David loves God. David is looked at as one of having God's own heart and being righteous, at least to a certain degree, in the way that he's, he has a relationship with God. And he's a, he's a wise man. He makes dumb choices and makes stupid decisions. But when he does, he acts in a mature way after being convicted. He acts in a mature way of how he's going to go about then responding to his sin, as where Saul did not, you get to Saul. But as you go through the line of the kings, you see guys will bring reformation to the nation and bring people back to God, or they'll turn everyone completely away from God, which eventually leads to uh, exile and Babylon and, and all those issues, and now where they're at, where they're still under somebody else's authority. But here you have their king at this time who finds himself, I'm arresting John, because he's speaking against me going out and marrying my brother's wife. If you don't know, you're not supposed to marry your brother's wife. For us, that's just weird. But also, if I mean, if he's alive, it's just that's just wrong, plain and simple. Just a wrong thing to do. And so John shows up, and, and as he sees this, he begins to speak against because John comes bringing the message, preparing the way for Jesus, and he comes saying, "Hey, you need to repent from your sin. Stop being stupid." And so as he sees this, John doesn't care who it is, and he addresses the issue, you shouldn't be doing this. And he addresses it to the point where Herod and Herodias, his wife, find out about it, and they have to address it, so they go and arrest John. Now, multiple times when, when I've got to speak, we've got to go over just issues of morality and how we handle, how we treat people, and all those things. And here it's very clear, when there's an issue of just outright defile of what God says, John is well within reason to say, hey, you're wrong. Stop doing this. Not only that, not only does John stand up and, and actually say that, he takes to the stand, he takes a stand with a point where Herod arrests him and he's thrown in prison. He doesn't move off of that. They throw John in jail and he goes, it's still wrong. This still shouldn't be happening. 
This is a great picture of somebody standing, somebody who's a godly man, seeking to help turn people back to God, who will stand and say, this is right and this is wrong, plain and simple. It's very interesting because up to this point, we've seen multiple times Jesus dealing with people and not addressing, at least to begin with, issues of morality. We see Jesus' response is often compassion, love, helping, healing. His negative responses only come, it seems, when people are, they have a distorted view of what's right or what's wrong in, in terms of how they're treating individuals. When they're focused on themselves, when they're focused on possessions, that's when Jesus is negative. It, it's not been, at least up to this point, about behavior. But yet John stands up, again, a godly man stands up and says, this issue is immoral. You've married your brother's wife. Herod and Herodias take offense to it and throw him in jail. The point being, it's perfectly fine. It's a godly thing to do to stand up for morality. We, I, we've been doing the service now since August. And the biggest thing we've talked about is loving people and having compassion. But at the same time, it's a two-sided token almost. We as Christians, especially today, just to back up for a second, it, it, our, our nation, our society, I would not say is eroding and, and destructing and headed for hell in a handbasket. I wouldn't say that. One that's cliche, and I don't like using those easy cliches, so I don't like using cheesy. If you like cheesy, that's cool. I don't mind it, but I, I don't like it. I wouldn't say that. Why, and why would I not say that? I would say it's not one of those things when you look out the door and Eden's burning. It's burnt. All the way back to the creation narrative. The society already eroded. Morality was already, I mean, it's already in a destructive state. We're not getting worse. I mean, it's, it's just bad in general. We see that all the way back here. Herod, he takes his brother's wife. I mean, we see throughout gospel narratives, throughout scriptures, throughout our Old Testament, all, and again, all the way back to creation narrative, the whole thing's burnt. But yet, John stands up and says, this is wrong. You need to stop doing it. A part of our loving people, a part of our caring for, a part of our being a body, a family, community, is helping people deal with their issues and not being afraid to say, this is wrong. You need to stop. It's not wrong for when one of your close friends decides, you know what, I'm done with my marriage, I'm done with my family, I'm out of here, and, you, and they take off. It's not wrong for you to call or to show up and say, hey, you need to go home. You need to shut up and you need to go home because what you're doing is wrong. That may be the best thing that you can say to somebody. Again, it's not, it's not wrong for us to, in a loving way, address issues of morality because we're supposed to be people of God. We're supposed to be people who follow Jesus and live in a way that's worthy of, of, of worshiping God and is worthy of being productive for the kingdom of God. And so here you have the leader of a nation, the leader of God's people, supposedly, who is completely turned from and is now doing what he wants. And John addresses the issue. It says, John is arrested for this, verse 18, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Come on, bro. Hello. Verse 19, so Herod is, uh, nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, kill him, but she was not able to. Again, are women evil? 
This one is. Yeah. Not not that one. This one. I pointed it. I didn't. This one's evil. It says that she hears this and she's so angry, she nurses a grudge against him to the point where she wants to kill him. Just a brief note. We'll take a little rabbit trail. When you nurse grudges, they get worse. Jesus says, pray for your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because when you nurse grudges, it's bad. When something happens bad to you, pray for that person. When you like somebody, pray for that person. Hopefully you don't get to this point, but she obviously is very upset about this thing. But she said, it says she was not able to, verse 20, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. Very interesting. King Herod, I've married my brother's wife. I've divorced my old wife and got rid of her, and I've gone and I've married my brother's wife. And so I've really created some odd Christmas celebrations, even though they're not celebrating at this point. Still, it's just for the sake of. And so he's creating a really interesting family dynamic. John shows up, says, Herod, this is wrong. You are not supposed to do this. This is unlawful. This is ungodly. And so they arrest him, they throw him in jail. Wife says, hey, let's kill him. And he says, no, I'm afraid and I'm going to protect him. Why? Because I know that he is a righteous man. How odd is this? I've arrested a man, I've thrown him in jail, and I'm keeping him alive because I know he's righteous, but at the same time, I'm not going to do what he says. When somebody that is godly, that is righteous, that is bringing the word of God, comes to you and says, hey, you're wrong, and you go, okay, I really respect that guy. Man, he's godly. I don't like what he says. I'm going to keep doing what I want. I'm stupid. I've said that twice now, and I really I really like that word today because it fits well here. Ron has Ron's favorite quote. You can go to our website and pull up his page, and it says, favorite quotes, it says, sin makes you stupid. That, that's his authentic, unique, like he made that thing up. Great quote. And that's plain here. Sin has made Herod stupid, where he knows he's a righteous man. I'm protecting him. I don't want him dead. He is a holy man, but at the same time, I'm not going to respond to what he's telling me. It says, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. He's a righteous man. He's holy. I don't know what he's saying, but I sure like to hear him talk. Which I would argue, another rabbit trail, just real quick. How often do we go and listen to people that we like to hear, who we think maybe are are smart or sharp and are bringing the Word of God, and we go, man, I love hearing that, and I walk out and I don't respond to any of it. Often we pull up on our iTunes a message from a, a pastor that we really respect, and listen to and are convicted and walk away going, wow, God is moving. And we do nothing with what we heard. Again, Herod responds, not at all, but he sure likes to listen to him. Verse 21, finally, the opportunity, the, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Verse 22, when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. 
The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. So here, Herod has a birthday, he throws a party, they all get drunk, and they bring out a young girl to do some dancing. Wise decision. And so, they're pleased with this. We can all assume what's going on here. They're pleased to the point where Herod now says, hey, you've done so well tonight, you can have anything you want up to half the kingdom. The guy's got to be fully racist. I mean, you have to think. Because see, Herod, the youngest son of Herod the Great, Herod, and I, for some reason I can't say it tonight, and I'm not going to try, but Herod was viewed as, he was a wise man. He was productive. He did a good job with what he had. He's famous for some of the things he built, and he wasn't viewed as a bad ruler. He was viewed as fairly smart and being able to stay in power under Rome and made good choices. But at the same time, again, sin has made him just oblivious to what's good and bad. And so he says to her, whatever it is you want, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. Verse 24, she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The response is, the head of John the Baptist, she answered. Verse 25, at once the girl hurried into the king with a request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Again, I mean, just, again, thinking through who this king is supposed to be. Ruler of Israel, ruler of God's chosen people, should be a godly man who makes wise choices and does things right. But yet, here he's made one bad decision after another, and this actual decision of divorcing his wife and marrying his brother's wife will lead to the end of his reign. Uh, it, his, uh, his ex-wife's, it would be his ex-father-in-law, ended up rising against him and in, in coming in and overthrowing him, and he got tossed out. Uh, and it was a bad deal. So, I mean, this woman was the demise of his of his uh, reign. And just, again, unwise decision, but you see that throughout this. Brings the girl in, dances, yeah, we're pleased, yeah, you can have anything you want. And so she goes, she talks to mom, and mom says, I got it, let's get the head of John the Baptist. And so she runs back in and says, hey, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter, which is just morbid. And then verse 26, the king was greatly distressed because of his oath and his dinner guests. He did not want to refuse her. You're the king! The 17-year-old girl just came in, did a dance. You're like, well, that's fantastic. You do whatever you want. All right, I want John's head. Well, I guess everybody heard me give an oath. I guess I'm stuck. What do I do? Really? If, if your 17-year-old daughter walks in and, and makes some good, and she makes straight A's, it's fantastic. What do you want? Anything you want. I want a brand new car. No. That was easy. I want my own apartment. No. Why? Because it's just unwise. Be smart. She walks in. I want John the Baptist's head. Oh, my goodness. Everyone has seen me give this oath. If I say no, then I'm going to look bad. Oh. Mm. I mean, literally, that's what it is. He could say no, and there would be no repercussions whatsoever, other than a few of his buddies like, dude, come on. That's it. He's not going to lose power. He's not going to lose money. Nothing. His wife may be a little happier. But honestly, I mean, as mean as she is, how long is it going to last? But he's greatly distressed. And it says he did not want to refuse her. 
Verse 27, so immediately he sent the executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his bodies and laid it in a tomb. Simple as that. Great picture of a leader. Here, here's the picture of what a man should be who is leading a people of God. Do what you want. Be selfish. Make it all about you. Throw some parties. Get wasted. Bring in a girl to do what they do. Just be unwise with everything you do. This, I mean, what a, what an awful picture of a leader of the people of God. Again, the whole, the whole point I'm trying to make tonight is we make this connection all the way back to the creation narrative. Humanity is broken. In fact, before Mark writes this book to people in, in Rome and in that area to defend the divinity of Jesus, but obviously it's a gospel. And so the, the big point he's making is he's sharing the story of Jesus. Here's how you come to redemption. And part of that is a recognizing you're broken and you have a need for God. And the big point we pull out of here is that man is broke. Obviously, Herod displays this in a multitude of ways and what power can do uh, and the misuse of power and how he does so and how he's ungodly and the people it impacts. And he impacts multiple people with his unwise decisions. He's decided, you know what, I don't want to be married to this girl anymore. I'm going to move to the next one. And so he dishonors her and her family and her nation, which again is going to impact, impact him and his court and his family and all that he rules because eventually they're going to come in and take over. But not only that, so then he takes his brother's wife, and so it's an impact on his brother and his family. And not only that, but it's an impact on how everybody then views him. We're, they're already unhappy that Herod's in charge. And he goes and does something like this, and they're going, it's ridiculous. So you've got an impact of sin there. John comes in and says, this is wrong. Well, I can't back out now. And so he just keeps going with it. So it now impacts John, it impacts his disciples. They bring the daughter in on this. It's, it's, it's not just Herod that's been impacted. It's just permeating throughout all those he comes in contact with, this neglect of responsibility and just doing whatever he wants. And it becomes a mess because John's head is now on a platter as they bring it up. Here you go. Here's your gift. But again, it takes us back to this idea of man's broken. We make bad decisions. We may not do what Herod did, but at the same time, we make bad choices. We, hear, we sit down, we hear from God's Word, we read from God's Word, and we walk away and we don't respond. John the Baptist comes bringing the message of God. This is what God is doing. This is how God is working. Repent, turn, and follow God. And Herod says, No. We sit down and read our Bibles, which is God bringing His message to us through, in this book, Mark is writing and bringing the message of God. This is how God is dealing with man. This is where you're wrong. This is where you're incorrect. Turn and follow God. And we say, and that's righteous. I'm out. I said last week we read about putting our faith in and trust and stepping out and walking 
in what God has called us to do and we say, wow, that's fantastic. Yes, we need to trust God and we need to do what He says. And we walk away and we do nothing. The week before, we talked about a woman who had a blood issue and a, and a girl who was dying and the response of the people in their lack of care, their lack of love. We talked about a few weeks before a man who was possessed by demons and Jesus heals him and immediately the people say, leave our, leave our land, leave our towns, leave our country because you're costing us money. And we hear these things about selfishness and not loving people and not doing what God has called us to do and not being the people of God that we are supposed to be. And we hear and we understand and we sometimes even like to listen to the message and the words and we walk away and we do nothing. It's really squeaky right there. You don't hear that? You did? I like you. I like it when you talk. You always talk. I was supposed to bring you a donut this week. Remind me of that, and I'll get it next week, okay? If your mom says, okay. Deal? I'm winning over the cake. It's donut. <laughs> yeah. But again, this, this whole concept of, man, it's broken. The basics of the gospel is recognizing that I'm broken and I need God and I have to respond. Herod's problem, his main issue, is that not that he goes out and divorces his wife. His main issue is not that he marries his brother's wife. His main issue is not that he throws a party for all of his buddies to get drunk at. His main issue is not that he brings in a girl to dance in a way that she probably shouldn't be dancing. His main issue is not that he is unwise in saying, you can have whatever you want. His main issue is not that she comes in and says, this is what I want. I want John 10. And he says, well, there's nothing I can do because I said that I would do it and I promised you. Now I can't back out of that. Those aren't his main problems. His main problem is that John brings a message and says, you're broke. And he says, no. The basics of the gospel, the basics of what Mark is writing about, what Matthew writes about, what John writes about, what Luke writes about, what Jesus brings is that you're broken and you need God. Your response is to turn and to follow Him. If we go back to Malachi, and the people were saying, where are you at, God? We're in distress. We're not the people that you call us to be. You're not doing what you promised to do. Where are you at? He said, you're broken. Turn and follow God. The whole story, from cover to cover, when you start in Genesis and you're into the book of Revelation, when you put all those books together and all the writings together and all the stories together and the poetry and the history and all of it comes together, it communicates man's broken, he needs God, and the answer is Jesus. The basics of the whole storyline. Here it is. Not a wise man. He makes bad decisions. He impacts all those around him. He kills holy, righteous men. He is the picture of humanity. He's broken. He's the picture of you and I and our lack of response to God. 
in this storyline as we walk through, again, as we started with the, the great question, are women evil? This lady's not very nice. But is she at fault? To her own degree, she's broken. It's not her fault that this happened. This is Herod's fault. And we go all the way back to the creation narrative when he asks that question, who's wrong? Eve's wrong because she's deceived and she, she acts in disobedience. But in the roles that God has set up, in, the, in what he's made, what he's created, in men and women, in marriage and families, in churches and communities, Adam is the one at fault because he doesn't lead. He doesn't respond in a godly manner to lead the woman that he's married to. Not only does this story communicate for us the fact that Herod's broken and humanity's broken, but men are broken. We either choose or we just have a lack of ability to lead. Why? Because we're selfish. We have our own vain ambitions. We have what it is that we want. We have our own expectations. We have our own responses. We have our own issues that we grew up with. And oftentimes we don't choose to deal with, respond, follow God, and lead our family. Yeah, this isn't a marriage talk. We did that series for one week already. That was funny. Series one week that oxymoron. Everybody got that? Okay. Good joke. I couldn't make it as a stand-up comedian because it would just be silent. Yeah. <laughs> be awesome. But Herod, Herod fails to lead the way he's supposed to. Partially because he's in the wrong spot anyway. He's not supposed to be leading this woman regardless. We can learn a great deal of things of the choices we make. Obviously, this passage communicates. Make some wise decisions. Be smart about what you do. Just because you like the way something looks or feels or how it may turn out. Make a wise choice. Because unwise choices end badly. Not only for John, but for Herod, for his family. But again, just this recognition that humanity is broken. And we need God. The basics of the gospel. You're broken. You need Jesus. You have to respond to that. Like we said last week, we have to respond in faith. We have to respond in trusting God. Yes, I'm broken. I'm putting my trust in you. I'm trusting you for forgiveness. And I'm moving forward in a relationship. I'm beginning to follow. I'm beginning to act. I'm beginning to develop and mature that begins to validate the faith that I have, the relationship that's been established through you, Jesus. Mark is defending the divinity of Jesus. But here is plainly stating, man is broken and you need Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for tonight. Thank you for another chance to come together to study your word. We thank you for the love you've given us. We thank you for giving yourself so that we can know you. God, I pray uh, this week for opportunities for each one of us to love people that we come into contact with. Uh, God, I pray for opportunities for us to, to make a difference in those that we're around. <clears throat> in our families, our communities, our neighborhoods, uh, in our workplaces. God, we pray that you will move in the 
the hearts and in the lives of people who need you. And help us to love them, to share you with them in uh, ways that they will respond. Give us wisdom, strength, understanding uh, on how to best do that. And again, we thank you for love and forgiveness you've given us. Your personal prayer. Amen.